Ever wondered if that friend of yours investing in bitcoins is playing make-believe money? This is stupid! Or sitting on a potential million dollars? That makes you the richest man in the world. It's time you found out. Welcome to Crypto Nights, where we help you finally make sense of the trending world of cryptocurrencies. So gather your virtual piggy bank and let's get started. Hey, 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 welcome to Crypto Nights, where the best minds bridge the crypto divide. I am Kant Miriala, a PhD in theoretical computer science with over two decades of entrepreneurship, online businesses and technology businesses experience, and super excited about the crypto space. I'm very happy to launch this first episode of Crypto Nights, where we break complex things down so that they're simple and new entrants and veterans alike can enjoy this broadcast and learn from it. I'm going to start off by introducing Harish, who heads revenue at Woke. Woke, W-A-L-K, is a blockchain-based advertising data exchange. They're literally taking on Google and Facebook to democratize data. It's like an intermediary that brings in buyers and sellers of data and enables them to buy and sell data. Harish oversees global sales and business development activities here. Prior to this, he was at Kenshu, and he was at Supersonic Ads, Planomics, and Inmobi. He's from California. Here's a disclaimer from both Kryptonites as well as from Woke. <laughs> because he's being recorded in mid-August, there's no guarantee that this information will stay current. In fact, we know for a fact that it will go out of date pretty soon. So if you want the most current information, go to woke.com, W-O-L-K.com, or join their Slack group, slack.woke.com. All right. And this entire information is purely for information. That's it. We don't want you to infer anything that is as a promise or something that will help you make money in a guaranteed way. No, no. Nor is Kryptonites endorsing this. We're just interviewing them to provide information. You take this information, you make your own decisions. Token sales are inherently extremely risky. You could lose all your money. Right. So we are by interviewing a woke, we are not necessarily endorsing or soliciting you to purchase their tokens? No, not at all. That is something you have to do on your own. We are not financial advisors, okay? So now that that's pretty clear, let's get on with it. Here is Harish Timapa. Hi, Harish. My name is Kant, and I'm very happy to welcome you to this podcast. Can you Hi, please uh, introduce yourself as well? Hi, Kant. Very Hi. happy to be here. Yeah. My name is Harish, Harish Timapa. Yeah. I'm Senior Vice President of Revenue at Woke Inc. Can you spell that out? I know that I know the spelling, but a lot of people on our audience may not know exactly how Woke is spelled. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, that's important, actually. So <laughs> Woke is W-O-L-K. W-O-L-K. Uh, pronounced very similar to Woke or W-O-K. Woke, the okay. vessel, Chinese vessel. But Woke actually means cloud in Dutch. That's one of the reasons that's the, we named ourselves Woke. Oh, okay. So that was my next question. You kind of uh, beat me to it. <laughs> woke means cloud in Dutch. Okay. Right. I learned something today, <laughs> Harish. So this is going to be a, a, a relaxed conversation. Our whole chat is going to be like a fireside chat. And uh, this is going to be an overview type of a session where I'm going to be asking you questions back and forth and feel free to you know, jump in and explain things. If there are questions I should ask, but I'm not asking, feel free to. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to ask myself a lot of questions then. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So I'm I'm really excited because uh, this whole uh, crypto world, token sales and initial coin offerings is absolutely exploding. And uh, we are having a unique opportunity here to be conversing with a company that is about to do that. So we are very eager to know a lot of things about, you know, who are you as a person and you as a company and what do you guys do, et cetera. So can we start off with a, maybe a brief uh, description uh, about yourself to begin with and your background, and then we'll get into work and what it does. Definitely. So I've been in the mobile and digital advertising world for donkey's years now, from the very first days of the, the iOS app store. Okay. Uh, I was one of the first members in the revenue team at Inmobi. Built the North American sales team, grew the team uh, to 100 people. Inmobile was almost 1,000 people when I moved on from there after four years. Then I was VP of sales at Planomics, which was eventually sold to Unity. 
Then I was VP of sales for Supersonic Ads, which were eventually merged with Iron Source. Then okay. I was head of global mobile sales, ad sales specifically at Kenshu, which is one of the big firms in the search slash social world. So been doing sales slash revenue slash product in the mobile space for about a decade now. Uh, originally from India, but currently live in the Bay Area. Um, I am an alumni of I am Lucknow, and before that, I did my engineering from SJC in Mysore. Um, no longer an engineer. I wouldn't call myself an engineer <laughs> because the world has uh, moved on so much. I just want to focus on what I know. Um, at work, I run revenue. So what that means, I'm handling every aspect of the business from the demand side and the supply side and where we generate revenue. So that's me in a nutshell. And we will want to know what all that means. What is demand side? What is supply side, etc.? But we'll I, wait until you explain what work is, and then we'll get down to that. Perfect. Uh, that's that's exactly what I want to do. Like, take a step back, right? So, work. Uh, the team at work is really small. It's it's not uh, like hundred people. It's about fourteen people right now at work, and the founders, Saurabh, Sonia, and Rodney, they have been around for a long time. They started the company uh, called M dot M way back in two thousand nine which was eventually rebranded as cross channel and which still continues to exist and make a make significant positive cash flow for us uh, it's in the mobile advertising slash rtv slash dsp world so that's the background and all of us the the key members we have faced at one time on or another during the combined 100 year work experience that we have the paucity of data right the data is what drives mobile advertising or digital advertising. In fact, it drives many things, uh, but among one of the key and immediate things is the uh, advertising slash marketing piece. How does data, I mean, it might be the fact that we know that you are owner of a, a iPhone and you're 25 years old, you're a male and you're from New York. Is that what you call as data? That's a big part of it. That is a big part of it. And you also brought Google into the discussion, right? So let me continue what I was saying, which is essentially we saw that there was not enough data and yeah. did, uh, you described what the a part of that uh, problem. And we also saw another thing, the entire world was is being taken over or, had, or, or has already been taken over by Google and Facebook. Yes. For yes. A simple reason that they have data. They have users mm -hmm. data. Every single person in the world logs in for one reason or the other, yes. either for the social purposes or for searching purposes and gives their data voluntarily. It's nothing illegal. It's 100% <laughs> legal, but that's what's happened, right? So they're like the smog, the dragon in the LOTR world, right? Yeah. So they're sitting on the treasure trove of data and <clears throat> also they've built a walled garden around that data. And that's where they're making their trillions of dollars. Yeah. So today, the the most important data sources are with those two companies. And if yeah. you happen to have some data by yourself, uh, I'll come to that, how you might, you really have no way to monetize that. You really have no way to derive value of that. That's one part. The second part, if you are in the market for whatever reason, for whatever product or the way you want to use data for, you have no other way apart from going to these two large companies, Facebook or Google, right? So you're tied. Your, your hands are completely tied. Your revenue streams have to go through them. And that's 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 their business model. I mean, kudos to them. So they have built this. They're minting money. But that's where we come in. I mean, we face this problem. Our competitors face this problem and still face this problem. We said, okay, we need to do something about this. We need to truly democratize and decentralize data and make this whole data exchange unstoppable. So we did the, the most logical thing. According to us, we built a data exchange. So we built a platform, uh, a protocol, an API where demand and supply, demand for data. If you're a marketer, you want to know who your audience are. Supply of data. If you are an app developer, you have a treasure trove of data of your own audience and which you legally have the ability to bring to the market and monetize. So we are making you guys meet the demand and supply meet. So that in a nutshell is what work is. So if you could give me examples of both sides, can you give me examples of who are the people that will come to work and what are their needs by an example? Perfect. All right. So let's take an example. Okay. So let's say you're Coke, yeah. you're Coca-Cola, and you want to spend $10 million in the first week of September targeting women in the age group of 18 to 25. 
Okay. So that's your audience. For okay. whatever reasons, you've done your internal analysis and you want to target them. So you have come to the decision to do this. Well, what do you do now? So you really do not have any way to reach this specific audience for this particular budget you have, right? So you'll go to your agency. Your agency also doesn't have any idea. The agency goes to an ad network. Ad network also doesn't have any deterministic data to go after them. So that's on the demand side. So then the brand slash agency slash ad network becomes the demand partner who needs this data to fulfill this marketing objective. Yes. They obviously have real estate somewhere, right? So it could be a game. It could be an app. Somewhere to show an ad. But to show the ad, the right ad to the right person at the right time, they need data. And they want now to buy this data. So they are the demand side. Yeah. On the other side of the equation, you are, again, purely for example, you are a, say you are a dating app. Right? Yeah. So you are a dating application. Uh, we, this is actually one of the biggest verticals in our, on our supply side, but I do not want to name them. Um, the dating, you say you are a dating application. You yeah. currently have, say, 100 million users on your platform. You know their age. You know their gender. Gender, you almost know it at 100% accuracy because yeah. people really are honest about the gender, looking yeah. at what the platform really is doing, right? So you're trying to meet the gender you want to meet. So you want yeah. to be clear about that. Age, yeah. uh, we have observed 97, 99% accuracy with male audience and about 94, 95% accuracy with the female audience. Again, it is, it is what it is. It's just purely an observation. But it's a very high uh, accuracy levels for age and gender is what you as a dating application have. So today you are making money on mul uh, through multiple ways. You might have some in-app purchases. You might show some ads to your audience, but you are sitting on this data. There's really no way you can monetize this data. You cannot go out there and say, my data is high quality. I know these audiences really well. I know them to this particular accuracy level. Okay, so now you are a supplier. So you come on board. As a supplier, you want to add a brand new revenue stream to your balance sheet, to your cash flow, right? So it is not affecting your advertising business. You can, you can continue to show ads, however you're doing right now. You can continue to monetize through in-app purchases, however you're doing right now. This is, it's completely from an outside revenue stream that's going to help you out. So you're a supplier. Uh, how this is going to work. So the, and also, okay, now let me come to the mechanics of the data exchange. So now we know the, the who's demand and who's supply. Suppliers can onboard their data onto the Woke protocol using a very simple SFTP platform or through an API. They have a choice. And once the data is onboarded, again, data still belongs to the supplier. To this, so give me an example again. So the dating app is going to upload the data that they have in some simple way. Correct. Is, hey, this, is, this is the kind of traffic we have. This is the kind of breakdown of uh, age and gender that we have. Something like that. Right. Again, uh, let's not use the word traffic because we are not monetizing real estate. Right. Okay. So, really. so the, again, let's, let's address the question. What data? Okay, what is this data? So in our world, for the moment, we'll change and this, will, is, this is going to evolve to add a multiple other dimensions to, to it in the future. For the moment, data which we are concerned with is device ID. Yeah. Like every phone, every tablet, and every laptop has a particular ID associated with that. What we call MAC address on laptops, yeah. you will have something similar to that called IDFA on iPhone. And your iPhone's IDFA is going to be unique to you. There's never going to be another IDFA, which is exactly the same as yours on a different phone. So essentially, it's a name. It's, it's your device has its own unique name. So does an Android device, GAID, right? So unique device identifier mapped with age, with gender, with email, with in-app purchases, and with app usage. So now that device is essentially being understood by the marketer. If I were to show an ad on say Khan's iPhone, I know I'm going to be hitting male living in the US of the age group 35 to 45 and of this email address and of who has done these many in-app purchases and who has recently shown an interest in say buying a car or by getting a mortgage because of the apps he's used. He might have used Zillow. He might, he might have gone to cast.com. He might have gone to Edmunds, KBB, things like this, right? So the device will then be associated with the information which makes the ads you see more relevant. And that's what marketers are ready to pay. So we have now, now we have who's the supplier, who's the demand partner, what's the data that is going to be marketed. And the way this works is 
as a data supplier, which is in our example, a social dating app, right? So they can say, I have 100 million device IDs with this information and I want to monetize them at $2 per thousand device IDs, okay? Or $2 data CPM, right? Cost per thousand. CPM is cost per thousand. So data CPM is how much are you willing to accept for thousand device IDs with this information? They can name their flow. This is very important. So data suppliers get to name their flow and data buyers now come in the cokes of this world, right? The one in our example, they can now come in and they can say, okay, here are 100 million device IDs. Can you please tell me the age and gender of them? And I'm ready to pay them, pay $2.5 for that. So now we do two things. One is we take the device IDs, which Coke is asking us the questions for. So everybody is on the demand side has to ask us a question pertaining to a specific device ID. So once that question is asked, we do the mapping internally. We do the price check. Is the the price named by the demand side higher than the floor set by the by the supplier? If it is higher, it's good. Then we match it. And typically, the match rates can be anywhere between thirty percent to fifty percent. It's never going to be hundred percent. So thirty percent to fifty percent. Let's say Coke sends us hundred million device IDs. We see fifty million are matched, and the price is right. Coke gets back those device IDs with age and gender, and Coke goes its merry way by showing ads to them. That's it. You know, got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. So that is the process. Right. Of onboarding, of matching, and then do you also get into the payment? Yep, good point. Very important point. So while we do not own the, we don't own the data, right? So the data still belongs to the supplier. But it is going to happen that every demand request is going to be met by more than one supplier, right? So there's going to be if somebody asks hundred million questions, Kant might have ten million answers. Somebody else might have. 5 million answers, somebody else might have 1 million answers. So we aggregate them and put together and give it to the demand side. So the demand partners pay Woke Inc. Woke Inc. pays 75% of that to the suppliers. That's that's the revenue share and that's how the, the returns flow. And that's how Woke makes money. Yes, exactly. The Woke Inc. Exactly. Uh, we'll come to that. It's a very interesting point. It's 20%, not 25%. So 75%, oh. 75% goes to the supplier and 20% comes to us. And if I were to take this model and compare it with the before and after, mm-hmm. or, you know, work and before work. So before work was there, where would these supply and demand partners go? Would they go to a Facebook? Would they go to a Google? And and how much would that cut be? Would that be 20% or more than 20%? So, so I'm just trying to get a feel for... Correct. correct. You are asking, uh, if I interpret the question correctly, you're asking what need are we filling? If there was a latent need, if there was something, somebody else's lunch we are eating, or is it something we are creating you know, from off our own, brand new product, right? So, or in other words, why should a dating app come to you guys then go somewhere else? Yeah. So today... This particular uh, demand and supply of data is being met on either Facebook or Google. That's one bucket, the large behemoths. And you can't, you really cannot buy data there. You have to buy ad space. You have to buy ads, literally. So you are paying for data, but you only get data if you buy ads. That's it, right? So, I mean, what does that really mean? Like, you know, if I if I make, make somebody buy the goods they want only if they buy the larger bucket of goods they 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 might not want i'm going to charge it up right so i'm going to you know hike the price up because uh, it's an oligopoly so that's one way secondly there are a bunch of so-called dmps in the world okay so these guys have a lot of inferred data so this is where we differ this is the problem we are solving again so our entire business is built on deterministic data deterministic as in a user he has actually put in his age and gender when he you know opens a dating app, right? There's a user input data versus a company saying, okay, this user, this phone has browsed 10 beauty products or this user has browsed 10 sports apps. So I'm likely going to think that is a female or a male depending on their browsing habits or possibly accurate, but it's inferred. And in this world, of uh, digital marketing, digital advertising, the difference between 90% accuracy and 99% accuracy is 500 times. It's not 90 to, you know, it's not 9%, it's 500% or 500 wow. times actually, simply because you're going to be betting maybe 10 million ads per second. That's how much you could be potentially be, you know, reaching and serving out there. Not per second, maybe 10 million ads per minute. 
Okay. I might have exaggerated a little bit, but yeah, mm-hmm. that's 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 the scale at which you're operating, and that's where the difference between determinism versus inferred deterministic data versus inferred data comes in. So the difference. So the inferred data could be really wrong by many, many, many times. Right. So no, it could be wrong by a little bit, but the impact is going to be many, many, many times. Okay. That's the point. So let's say if you buy a million deterministic point, uh, sorry, inferred data points, you might get 50% or 70% of them right. But the remaining 30%, if they're wrong, they're going to offset every single gain you would have made by buying the uh, other 70%. And they would have cost you loss. I see. They're literally being shown to the wrong people. Exactly. And, and and your message will be convoluted and the person might be offended and you're going to lose your brand equity and stuff like this, right? Okay, got it. So, and that could be as high as 20, 30% according to you? It could be as high as 20%. It could be as high as 5%. I'm going to say 5% is also very, very high. So, if if you end up curating a message or creating a message tailor-made to women in 18 to 25, imagine you and I seeing that message, right? It, if it is a lipstick ad, you and I see the lipstick ad again and again and again, maybe we both don't use lipsticks and maybe we'll be like, okay, who's this guy? Why does he keep on bombarding me with this stuff? It's like this. I see. So, there in a, in a Google or a Facebook situation, I'm buying ads, like you said, but here I'm buying data. Exactly. And then from the data, I will figure out what ads I want to send to the, to the respective data. Correct. You will figure out two things. One is what ads to send and to whom. And using this data, then you can tailor your media purchase. And this is a multi-billion dollar industry. Multi-billion every month, actually, industry. So, right? so they buy the data from you. And where will they buy the, uh, they do the ad spend, the media? Excellent. So the way this is tailored is you buy the data. And once you have the data about the audience, you can reach this audience wherever you see them. So you can set up a campaign on an ad network saying, okay, I want to target male 25 to 35. And I know these device IDs are men in this age group. Whenever you see them, show them my ad. And only show them my ad when you see them. That's it. So you're making an inclusive campaign, which wherein, because these users, I mean, people use multiple apps every day. On average, a person touches about 30, 30 different apps a day, right? Yeah. So for some, maybe a few seconds, some maybe hours together, but yeah. You're going to be reaching, you're going to be interacting with the world in multiple different ways and you could be reached on any of those apps. Correct. Once you know who you are, or sorry, not necessarily who you are, once you know that you are the person I want to reach, I'll reach you many different ways. And what do you call them? Ad agencies? Where do you buy your media? Where do you... So where would a, a buyer of our data buy the media, right? So that's yes. a question. Yes. A buyer of our data could buy media from an ad network or okay. from an agency, or from a trading desk, or okay. from a RTB, real-time okay. bidding platform, right? So, real-time bidding platform, yeah. So <clears throat> there are many ways they could spend that money. So you're kind of separating these two, and you're giving them explicit access to this data right. so they know who they're reaching out. Right. And in the other situation, you're kind of putting the ad out and praying and hoping that it went to the right people. There's right. no guaranteeing that. Wow, Absolutely. that's a huge, huge difference. Absolutely, 100%. So I see the value proposition here. Yeah. And so, and- we have intentionally created a boundary around the value proposition, around what we want to do, right? So we could have done and show, gone ahead and shown the ads ourselves. We have the ad servers built in, but we know that this is going to reach few billion people in the world. It could eventually reach about 80, 90% of the world's population, the data business, right? So we need to tailor this. We need to focus on this and we are limiting ourselves purely on the data side. Data could be multiple different types of data, advertising just the beginning. So we don't want to touch anything else apart from data. Okay. And so this is good both from for the demand side, Coca-Cola's of the world. It's also good for the supply side. Um, so why is it good for, a, a you know, both sides? Yeah. So the, for the supply side, it's good because you are now making money from a asset which you had, which had no liquidity otherwise. You can't really trade it anywhere. You can't really sell it anywhere. And it's not a perishable asset. Data oh. doesn't perish. Data is not like one person buys it, the other person cannot buy. Right? So it's a, it's an asset you have. It's an asset you have earned because you have brought on board your customers. Your customers yeah. have come to your platform and you have the legal uh, authority to monetize it because your terms and services have it. Your privacy policy says it, that you can use this data for you know, marketing purposes. You have been sitting on it without an avenue to make money off it. And now suddenly we, not suddenly, we are now providing them a nice 
clean, professional, transparent way of monetizing the data. So on the supply side, on the okay. demand side, demand side now has an opportunity to buy the data at the price they need, they want to pay, right? So it, it, it is very important uh, to understand this aspect of the pricing piece. For a brand, if I'm ready to spend $10 million on targeting this campaign for one week, I'm ready to spend 15% or 20% of this on data. For a performance campaign, performance as in, let's say I'm a machine zone or I'm a king or I'm a super cell, right? So I want to promote my Candy Crush app. I'm just giving an example. So if I want to promote my Candy Crush app, I'm ready to get the data for about 150th of the cost per new user. So I want to spend only 2% of my overall budget because I'm. it's an app. It's not really a branding exercise. It's not really selling a car to somebody. Whereas a car, a dealership which comes on board and buys data about Kant, who's recently searched KBB and Edmunds and everything, the dealership is ready to pay $100 because it's going to make few hundred or few thousands in some cases about the car. If Kant goes ahead and buys wow. a brand new S-Class, it's going to be worth like few thousand dollars to the dealership, right? Wow. So it, the, the, the demand side gets to name their own price. So I think we understand the business idea, but aren't there exchanges like this out there? Are, are you the first? Is Work the first or aren't there places where people could do the same? Right. So there are multiple places where you can buy and sell data. They're all inferred places. So looking at the aspects of our business, the deterministic nature of it, the decentralized nature of it, and naming your own price, setting your floor price part of it, and the rev share part of it, we are the only person in the world right now. So, and okay. also we think there are going to be more people like this. So we don't think this is this is uh, uh, something that's going to stay only with us. There are going to be other people, but yes, right now we are the only person. You're saying you're the first, but may not be the last. Okay. Yes. So and we want to help every other person who's going to come after us by providing them the protocol because we don't envision ourselves to grow into 10,000 people company. We want to remain small. We want to build the protocol and the API and allow everybody else to come on board. Wow, wow, wow. That was Greek suddenly. Uh, can can we now get into that technology aspect? Okay. You know, you told me that you're a blockchain-based company. Why did you need to be a blockchain-based company? And what do you mean by a protocol? Um, let me tell you my understanding of blockchain. Right? Yeah. So blockchain essentially is a distributed ledger. Right? So it's a ledger. Uh, I would guess most of us would remember a big A4, A3 sized notebook, which would which multiple accountants would have credit, debit, credit, debit sides of it, right? So the transactions happening. So that's one copy. Some of the more conscientious accountants might go home and make a duplicate copy and keep it at home to you know safeguard it. If in case my shop, something happens to my one ledger, I have all the backup in the other one. So now that is basically decentralized. There are two of them. What if you automate this and replicate this a million times, right? So you all of it is digital. All of it is online. All of it is in on million different computers. So now that's blockchain, right? So of course, blockchain has multiple different attributes to it. But for us, for me, this is the key piece. So it's completely distributed and it's replicated and it's not stoppable. You can't really come in and say, I'll take off one node and blockchain is gone. So that's blockchain. It's also encrypted and yes, yes. it's it's secure because we don't know who has the copies and all of that. Yeah, but I think we got the gist of it. Right. And it also doesn't say who this person is, like exactly. uh, entry. It doesn't name them. You don't have to have your name out there, but you have your unique address on it. Right. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's one piece. Now, if that's the way we understand blockchain, at least we understood blockchain, it plays a significant foundational role in making data secure making data distributed and making data accessible, right? So once we have everything, every bit of data coming in from say 500 or 1000 different data owners and get that together. And if we just keep it on our data servers, it could be hacked. Somebody could take it, right? So for free and somebody could again sell it back, right? So if we build it upon a language, upon a protocol, upon a way where it's distributed, not just with us and every change to it is replicated, nobody really can come and affect it. Nobody really can come and damage it. That's the first, first part of it. The data that we are talking about till now that is purchased and sold and all of that is secure. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. Got it. It's secure. And the other aspect of this is transaction itself, like buying and selling data, the exchange of money part of it, right? So you need to keep track of who's buying it and who's selling it and what the transaction really 
what was the transaction really for and how much was the the aspect exchanged the value exchanged so if it is all in fiat currency like usd or gbp or whatever euros so you are dependent again on your accounting system to keep track of all of it and maybe one month on the line three months on the line you don't really know what happened to which piece of your data so if all the transactions are on blockchain you have every transaction recorded and saved and replicated so that you can always refer back to them and see what happened to your data who bought it at what price point how much money did you make so that's on the other part and last but again uh, not the least important is the aspect of the tokens there are multiple things that have been built on blockchain right so bitcoin is the more, most popular one ethereum ether second most popular one and uh, we have ether which is the currency cryptocurrency on the ethereum blockchain and the tokens are essentially derivatives of this ether right so think of if you think ethereum blockchain as the internet woke inc is like an email app built on internet when internet came around we had G- i mean when gmail was built on internet gmail is essentially an app is an application it's a software that is sitting on internet right it is it 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 only functions when there is internet there's no other way right so similar to that if there's ethereum blockchain which is really awesome we've built an app on top of it called woke and that's a decentralized app and in within this decentralized app we are using a currency called woke token or just woke which is a derivative of eth so again um, the concepts would make a little bit more sense once you visualize the graphics look at the graphics on the website woke.com but that in a nutshell is how we have or the three main reasons why we have built this on blockchain or how blockchain actually has enabled us to do this okay so you are not just using it for safety of the data but you are also using it for transactions and giving the right people the right access to the right, right data that they have the right to access because they purchased it kant you are right absolutely you have you are now helping me summarize this so security of the data trans- security of transaction and you know preservance preserving the transactions number 2 number 3 appreciating the value of the initial contributors the original people who come on board and become a part of the work inc through the token generation event be they data supplier or a data buyer or a pure contributor who wants to just understand who understands the company and participates in the company hoping that the company grows we want to reward them and the work tokens allow us to do this perfect i think we have come to the right point of, for me to ask you that question yeah so you had indicated that you were in the you know in the process of getting a presale happening for the tokens and all of that right. i imagine that is for raising money now can you start getting into that what is this token we understand that it's an ethereum based token you're, mm-hmm. you're using the ethereum blockchain for that so i understand that mm-hmm. and that token so what does it represent in terms of value what is it connected to and why should somebody buy into it and and also what are you going to do with the money that you raise do you already have a product are you planning to build it you know that kind of stuff excellent these are the main questions which which go into the the flesh of what we are doing right so as i said woke token is built upon ethereum and let me go step by step Yes. Uh, so it's a digital asset. Yes. It's a digital asset. So it's not something you can touch. That's right. it. Right? So understanding that. So is Bitcoin. So is Ethereum. And yes. so, in fact, is ninety percent of the world's money. We don't really touch the money. We, if I bought in a house, I'll do a bank transfer from my account to the 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 seller's account. We don't really touch the money anymore. And yes. that money might really might exist, might not exist. Yes. So, work is a digital asset. We are pegging. Woke to ETH at a rate of one thousand wokes are equivalent to one ETH. Okay, this is important. So this is the ratio of wokes price in the beginning of the token generation event. Point number one. Point number two. We are making this available to the public to participate. Anybody who has ETH or anybody who can access ETH can participate and generate woke. Okay, I wouldn't use the word buy because to buy something, the product should already exist. This product doesn't exist; it only gets created or generated the moment you participate. So that's another key piece. Okay, so one thousand work is are equivalent to one ETH. We are generating fifty thousand ETH to five hundred thousand ETH worth of work. 
ओके सो फिफ्टी थाउजेंड एथ इज अमिनिमम फाइव हंड्रेड थाउजेंड एथ इज द मैक्सिमम सो वंस द मिनिमम इज इज हिट वी दैट वी से द टोकन जनरेशन इवेंट हैज सक्सीडेड एंड वंस द मैक्सिमम इज हिट और द अक्टूबर नाइन्थ डेट इज रीच्ड वी से द टोकन जनरेशन इवेंट इज कंप्लीटेड लेट्स ट्रांसलेट इट टू currency yes. that you could kind of yeah. understand so there is 1000 of these wokes is equal to 1 eth and 1 eth is probably about $300 right and therefore a thousand would be about 30 cents right one woke is would be about 30 cents yeah i'm just giving a ballpark idea right. for people to understand what the, right. what are the numbers and then similarly we are talking about 50000 eth that would be kind of multiplied by 300 that would be like 15 million or would we would yeah. you say Right. So the low the low end valuation or or amount of money that you plan to raise, right? Fifteen million, all the way to one fifty. Is it ten times bigger the high right. end? Okay, somewhere between fifteen to one fifty million dollars. So right. I just wanted to do the translation so people understand what we're talking about. Yes, yes. and uh, it's it's always good to when we translate uh, cryptocurrency to fiat currency, it's always good to call out the date, right? So we are having this conversation in about on the third week of August. So in the third week of August. The fifty thousand eth to five hundred thousand eth are approximately equivalent to fifteen million to one hundred fifty million. Excellent point. I couldn't agree more. Right. <laughs> yes, so, today and tomorrow, yeah, they are different. Right. So please continue. Yeah, thank you. So that's the the token generation event, and anybody with eth or anybody who has access to eth can participate and get work. Okay. So why are we doing this? Operation of the company requires eth requires work. I mean, it's generated by Oak, and also the intrinsic aspect of the platform of the protocol depend upon a crypto asset, which is going to appreciate. So these are the reasons why we are holding the token generation event. You also asked another important question, uh, Kant, which is, what is going to happen to the ETH generated? So forty-five percent of the ETH generated between the minimum and the maximum part of the ETH generated, right, is going to drive the supplier and the demand partner onboarding and sustenance. So you're going to expend. You so marketing, to, marketing expenses. What do you call them? No, it's not the marketing expense. It is. Uh, think of it this way: you're a large supplier. You have data supplier, and you have 500 million data points, and you want to come on board. So you're taking a risk of putting your data out there to be bought by somebody else without any immediate revenue. So we, as being the protocol or the API platform, we should have to compensate them maybe a little bit in the initial parts of it to put the data on there. And eventually, they'll obviously. So think of it as a cranking the machine. The machine is self-sustaining once it is cranked. So forty-five percent of it is the cranking part of it. That that's the force required to get the supply and demand off the ground. Okay. I see. I see. I see. So that you are subsidizing the effort of putting that data on your blockchain. Absolutely right. Uh, it is right, but it, it might it might involve a couple of things more than subsidization. But you are right. That's essentially right. So forty-five percent is yeah. Forty-five percent is to get the supply and demand going. Let's say that way. We'll get the marketplace going by with the forty-five percent of the money raised. Fifteen percent of it is going to remain as a reserve. We will not touch it. It cannot be touched. In fact, it's a reserve. Okay. I'll okay. come to why we need the reserve. Okay. And what the reserve means. Okay. So forty-five is for is to get the demand supply going. Fifteen percent is to be held as reserve. That's sixty percent. The remaining forty percent is the operational aspects of it. Okay. Amount which will pay the rent. Should pay the salary for our team, which will we will use for other purposes of running this form, running this form, and we'll also have to pay the data scientists who are going to vet the the data to ensure that the data is accurate. So, forty-five, fifteen, and forty—that's the way it's going to be split. Now, you might be asking me why the fifteen percent reserve, right? Okay. So, there is a really good company called Bancor. I'm a big fan of them, who came up with an amazing concept to solve. What is called double coincidence of wants. I'll repeat: double coincidence of wants. Essentially, think of it this way. So, if I were to go into the market to buy something, so I can only buy if that there is something to be bought. If there is somebody else ready to sell, yeah. if I were to go to the restaurant to eat something. There should be a restaurant ready to take my money and give me food. So, there is a double coincidence of want. There, there, this is very tricky in the whole world. Uh, there should be somebody ready to give up something to get something, and the other person should be ready to accept what he is giving up to give him that. So, it should happen at the same time. Yeah, it should happen at the same time. And to solve this problem, we human beings are smart, right? We created paper money. So, yeah. once we create paper money, you don't really have to have have them happen at the same time. I might grow a lot of potatoes, and you might get a lot of eggs, and I want to exchange 
potatoes for eggs, but you might your chicken has hasn't laid eggs yet. So I'm going to give potato to somebody and get money, paper money, and I give the money to you and you give me the eggs. So that's the way we solved it in the past. But that right. problem really cannot be solved on the digital side of the things, right? So let's say uh, today stock market. You want to buy stocks or sell stocks? You need to have somebody to do the opposite thing. Yeah. To solve that, this is essentially the liquidity piece. And Correct. to solve this, the fundamental idea is to hold on to a reserve, which is a constant proportion of the market cap. I am possibly dumbing this down like 500 times, even to myself, because that's how much I might understand this. Yes, 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 yes. So I'm giving you the explanation which I how I understand this. So you're going to have a reserve which is a constant purple. Uh, ratio or constant constant percentage of the market cap and in our case we have chosen 15% so whatever the reserve is that divided by 15% is the market cap okay so just to be you know crystal clear again so what this means if the reserve is $15 then the market cap is $100 if the reserve is 15000 it the market cap is 100000 it got it so, and let's say we raise 100000 it okay so we raise 100000 it through the token generation event 15,000 ETH are always going to be in the reserve in the first part, the first day. Okay, so the move, the value here is when a, okay, so that's the reserve part. Now, I'll ask myself another question. So, if I participated in the token generation event, will my work become more valuable in the future? Why should I do it? I mean, what's the, what's, what's the reason I should participate in the token generation event, right? Correct. Uh, I promised you I'll ask questions to myself. So, no, why, but this was a question that everybody is asking out there who's listening to this conversation right. is right. why should I buy into work token? Yeah, right. And of course, we both have to say this to the listeners you should do this only after understanding the whole protocol, only after understanding the white paper, and only with the the capital which you are comfortable investing or participating with because none of this can either ever be guaranteed by the investors sorry by the by the firm or the founders or any other participant involved right so we know what we're doing we are building we have built this from scratch because the way this functions makes sense and it's already been functioning right so we have a liquid data exchange that's currently running with 500 million data points so we have we have that going already. So we are doing the token generation event on top of that. It's not an idea which we come up, which is dependent upon token generation event. Token generation event is going to take the idea to the next level, the execution to the next level. Okay, we are currently live. For you, it's a it's a fundraising event. And the point I'm trying to say is, no matter how good your intentions are, right. nobody can guarantee the future. I think right. what Harish is saying here is, okay. you should only invest the money that you can afford to lose if things should go bad because nobody can guarantee this is a high risk startup type of an investment that's really how you should be thinking is you know no matter how exciting it sounds that's really what you should be thinking what if i lose the money am i okay and that's the kind of money i would recommend you invest so this is a high this i would consider this as a high risk investment please go ahead thanks Kant. and in fact the words investment and fundraising themselves might not even be accurate right in the world in the in the brand new world we are opening right so we are creating people like you Kant and I and a bunch of others people with the vision and the ambition we are creating a world where these terms might not mean what they meant in the past Correct. the intent and the direction which you mentioned 100% accurate thanks yeah. for that so I'll continue there so how would let's say today you participate and I said 1000 works are equivalent to 1 eth and yeah. you put in say 1000 eth and you now have a million work yeah. so what's going to happen next yeah. two ways work appreciates two primary ways work appreciates whenever the data exchange functions this is the beauty of it the whole formula the, the data exchange the five percent yeah the, you're right that's that's one part and the other part is even more interesting actually both of them are equally interesting five percent is important <laughs> so yeah the work is tied the value of work is intrinsically tied to this business succeeding by doing this we are aligning ourselves directly with this right so Every time a data buyer comes on board and buys data, whatever the way he buys data with, whatever he buys the data with, either with USD or ETH, it's eventually converted into work for the internal purposes. 5% of it is burnt, 75% of the post-burning piece is given to the supplier, and 20% goes back to the reserve. Okay? So what does this mean? The reserve has gone up. So we started with 100,000 ETH in our example. 15,000 of that, that was in reserve. Somebody came in and bought 1,000 ETH worth of data. 5% is burnt, 75% goes to it. And for our purposes, let's say 
uh, $200 get added to the reserve. Okay. Uh, and reserve always remains constant ratio to the market cap. So market cap has gone up. So somebody came and generated new work. The market cap has gone up. The overall work price goes up. And somebody and 5% of it is burning reduces the overall number of work. Okay, let me actually, I'll take a step back. Okay, so the question now is you have, you have invested 1000 ETH. You have 1 million work. Now what happens next? And every time there's a data exchange transaction that happens, work appreciates. Simply by the act of a buyer coming in and investing, sorry, putting in ETH, to get work, to buy data, appreciates the work price. And we also, along the process, burn 5% of work. That reduces the overall number of work in the world, but the market cap remains the same. That also appreciates the price. Right? The commodity's total value is the same, but you're burning some of it. The supplier and the buyer, for them, it's not. it doesn't impact them in any way. A buyer always comes in with an idea of how much he wants to pay for data. Work going up in price doesn't impact that because he puts in $1,000 today, when work is, let's say one work is $1. Tomorrow, if one work is $10, he can still put in $1,000 and get the same data. For him, work's price is immaterial. He doesn't care about that. For the supplier, the same thing. He's, he, has a, he has a floor. He's always going to get paid more than the floor in terms of fiat currency. He doesn't, he doesn't really worry about work going up or down. I would say they should because they should hold on to some work so that they can get more value out of it, but they shouldn't. If they don't want to, they don't have to. Uh, the contributor derives value and benefit by every transaction happening and by work being burnt. That's one way, right? So data exchange transactions impact work prices. Number two, whenever there's a new person, new contributor, he's not a data buyer. He's just a new contributor to the work ecosystem. He comes in and puts in 1000 ETH to buy work. He can do that anytime because work, number of work is not limited. And this is actually the most important thing. By limiting it, you would have put a constraint on the growth. By not limiting it, you're saying, Every time work is generated, everybody else who has held on work till then benefit. So if if Kant is holding on to 1000 work and I come in and I say, okay, I want to buy 100 more work. Can you please generate it? And here is my ETH. The moment I generate, the working generates work and gives to me, Kant's work has gone up. Why is that? Why is that? For the simple reason, the way work is generated on the banker's formula is for the, it's looking forward to the eventual price of the platform. And, and also, remember, whatever money is being put in by a new contributor goes to the reserve. It doesn't come to working. It is reserve. We don't touch it. We cannot touch it. The only revenue for the working is a 20% revenue of the data exchange. But any new money that or any new ETH that comes in is on the reserve. And the moment the reserve goes up, the market cap goes up by 1 divided by 1, 15%. So 6 point some percent, right? So... If the reserve has gone up from 5k to 10k, the sorry 15k to 30k, the work market cap has gone up from 100 million 100k to 200k. So okay, so that's the beauty of the banker formula. So anybody coming in, the market cap goes up. The work generated is lesser than the the current price work of work. So current holders of work benefit. All of these are very clearly illustrated as examples on the on the on the white paper. Wonderful. So there is a white paper that people, audience here that want to dig in further could go to a white paper that you have. You're right. And and let me say what a white paper is. White paper, it's it's a much maligned term, but essentially it's 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 the way the company is functioning. It's the entire backbone of the company, step by step. There's complete transparency. That's what we believe in, right? That's what we as a as a as a bunch of people who are interested in cryptocurrency and blockchain, we believe in hundred percent transparency. And white paper is essentially telling you how this company functions, broken down to the minutest detail. And it's available to anybody in the world on our website. Come in and download it. That's it. Okay. What is the website? Uh, you know, can you address? Can you give that to the people, the audience? Work. We are proud to have our website at wolk.com. Work. Simple. Four letters. Wolk.com. That's it. Wolk.com. So they can go there and they could download this. Now, what if they get all excited and they want to actually participate in this token pre-sale or the token sale? What are the dates? Where should they go? How should they do it? A couple of quick minutes on that or just point them to the place where they can get all the instruction. That'll do also. First thing I would say is good, good for you. And thank you. Congratulations. Congratulations. (laughs) You are, you are ready to board the train, right? So um, in all seriousness, I would request them all to spend time on the website, time on the white paper, go through it, understand it. 
uh, understand and ask questions. So we also, apart from just putting it out there, the white paper out there telling you how the business is going to be run, we are available 24-7 to answer questions. The entire leadership team, as well as the other participants in the community are at something called Slack, slack.org.com. It's a forum. Literally, you can ask questions, any questions on your mind, and we will answer it, or somebody else in the community is, is going to answer it. So slack.work.com, come there and ask questions. Anybody can come in. It's free to come in, free to ask questions, any questions, tough questions, good questions. So <laughs> now you have your white paper. You have an avenue to ask questions. You have the website. The second thing is now watch the videos. We have spent some time making a bunch of videos showing you how to participate in the token generation event, how to maybe even to create an ETH wallet. You might, you might just have a million dollars in your bank account, but might, might not have any Ethereum, right? So we have walked you through that as well. How to convert some of it, whichever, whatever percentage of it you want to invest in the crypto assets into ETH. And once you have that, how to participate in the Woke Token Generation event. And the Woke Token Generation event starts on September 10th and ends on October 9th. And this is the period during which you can participate at the fixed rate of 1000 Woke is equal to 1 ETH. You can obviously come in at any time in the future as well and get work. And that will help us if if we are the current participants in the that'll okay. In all again, seriously, you can always participate in the work ecosystem after the token generation event by coming in and buying work at the then prevalent rate, which might be higher than what it is today. Today it is thousand work are equivalent to one eighth between this period. So that's what you should do. Fantastic, Harish. I really thank you for the patient explanation. I think the people who go through this A will be really informed. I think you gave a very clear rundown of what Woke is, who are the people or the companies in the ecosystem, and then why you're running this whole token sale and what is the value of the token and where they can go to get more information and reiterated the fact that, hey, this is a high risk, you know, purchasing of these tokens is not guaranteed to make you money and all of that. So I think that's fantastic. We wish you all the best and we wish you great success as uh, as a company and as a person. And uh, we thank you for joining us at CryptoNights.io. Thank you, Khan. I really appreciate what you are venturing out to do. The whole endeavor of educating the broader audience about what's happening on the blockchain world, on the crypto asset world. It, this is important. This is once in a lifetime uh, technological change of cards, to, so to say, from internet to blockchain. right? So this is very important and I really appreciate and hope to support whatever you're doing in the future as well. Thanks for the opportunity to answer a few questions. Thank you, Harish. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to the Crypto Nights. Never miss an episode. Subscribe now at www.cryptonights.io.